Hi, welcome to Lore of the Ring, where I explain terrible wrestling concepts to my co-host. I'm Dan. I'm Daphne. And uh, I thought first we could just say how much we both know about wrestling. I think it'd be best for Daphne to start first, because <laughs> mine is a little bit more long-winded. Yeah, I, I'll, I get, shortest resume goes first, so uh, I'll start. Um, <laughs> other than uh, wrestling parodies, like Kaiju Big Battle, which is, you know, the uh, wrestlers all dress up as monsters and superheroes and stuff. Um, I don't know much at all about wrestling. I know some of the memes. I know the copy pasta with, uh, I think, Scott Steiner. I know... Um, a lot of the classic video clips that turn into memes. I know like three or four female wrestler names because I think that they're really pretty. Um, other than that, I think my wrestling experience begins and ends with when I was 11 years old and my cousins were playing all of the old Nintendo 64 uh, wrestling games. <laughs> um, so barely any experience at all with wrestling, unfortunately. <laughs> Fortunately, in your for your purposes. <laughs> Yeah, I started watching wrestling in 2005 when I was in elementary school. Um, I'm old. <laughs> and I had wa watched a bit of it with my dad in like 2003, 2004. But I was under the assumption it was just like normal sports. So I was never interested in normal sports. But when friends started talking to me about John Cena spray painting people, I was like, I could watch that. Um <laughs> So it was right before WrestleMania 21 when I started watching, and I've been kind of in and out of it, and I usually pay attention when weird storylines are happening. Um, so I have, and I've also like played all video games. I bought the old ones and to get mm -hmm. all the storyline stuff, and I would buy old DVDs with money I could get together. So I have, even stuff I didn't watch, I had a knowledge of everything that came before. Um, so the podcast in general is going to be talking about you know, some of the weirder storylines, but I just want to say I love wrestling. I love it as a framing device. I love everything about it, um, even though there's lots of times it's bad. Um, <laughs> uh, and I kind of wanted to spend this first episode talking about what it has in common with, like, other writing stuff, like TV mm -hmm. shows and books and stuff like that. Um, so the first thing that I had, like, noticed uh, when I started watching anime, and I have the least... <laughs> out of the two of us, I know less about anime than the two, is that mm -hmm. the concept of a tournament arc is very much like wrestling in that they can introduce, like, these weird characters and then, like, not explain their origin because they're <laughs> just here and they want to fight. Um, Daphne, I know you could explain a little bit more about the tournament arc. Sure, yeah. Um, it's actually funny that you mention uh, introducing a bunch of new characters. That's one of the things I put in my notes, which I'll I'll get to in a second. Um, the basic premise is that in an anime, on occasion, you may need uh, filler before you get on to the next part of your story. If it's an adaptation of an existing ongoing manga, then there are going to be times when the anime gets, it runs out of story. They've caught up to the manga and they can't do anything else. And they may still need to finish out a season or continue airing the show. And so they may introduce a non-canon story arc where the character's are entered into a fighting tournament, and that can advance the plot. It can be used to introduce a bunch of new characters or establish a new villain. Um, sometimes you get that instead of the actual ending to a show like you're supposed to get because the manga didn't finish and they had to end the TV series. Um, 
And they are sometimes actually baked into the show. Um, Dragon Ball and Yu Yu Hakusho are the best examples I have of when the tournament arcs were relevant to the plot um, and relevant to character development. Um, They're also, I have notes on the ways that they kind of subvert some of the, I, I don't like to use the word tropes because it just feels so overused, some of the more standard storytelling elements that you see in tournament arcs. Um, I went and I took some notes on what only works in tournament arcs, what I assume works in wrestling and in tournament arcs, and some of my, a couple things I think are notable about anime tournament arcs, but, um, they don't always have to be filler. Um, I, I, I'm not caught up on anime as much as I would like to be this past year or so. Um, but for people who are familiar with My Hero Academia, the entire, not entire, a huge portion of the second season was essentially a tournament arc that was notable for um, the main character did not normally the main character will lose in the final match of a tournament arc because they want to give them motivation to keep learning. Um, and I, I want to say he lost in the semifinals. He didn't even make it to the final round. Um, so then the story became the other characters that surpassed him and how he felt about them moving on past him and that motivating him to keep working and stuff. So I'm interested in hearing the connections you have uh, between tournament arcs and wrestling, because I I feel like I see some of these lines connecting and I'm not sure I see all the same ones that you do. Yeah. um, What are some of the ones that you're seeing just before I start like going into the ones I think of? uh, It's interesting that you mentioned um, using them to introduce a bunch of characters really quickly because I... um, I guess this demonstrates how little I know about wrestling. I assumed that you would not do that in wrestling. Um, just, I, I just assumed that with the nature of uh, introducing new, I guess, pro athletes, I don't know if you consider them to be, they're like a mixture of actor and athlete as far as I can tell. Uh, I, I assume you want more investment in them than just, by the way, it's tournament time and here's this guy. But yeah. it sounds like that might not be the case. There are some times where we introduce a whole team of people at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most notable one, uh, and we'll talk about this more in depth, it was called the Invasion Arc, uh, which happened when uh, Vince McMahon, the, the billionaire who owns WWE, bought his competition and then they had to introduce all of their like stars that he kept under contract <laughs> to the promotion at once. <laughs> That's incredible. And then there's like other times like the opposite of that happened where a bunch of people left WWE at once and went to the competition and they all had to be introduced at once. We'll talk about that a time as well. Oh, that sounds like good times. Okay. So yeah, it sounds like the the character thing actually, I, I don't know why I hadn't expected that. Um, I, I I don't know if this works in, in uh, wrestling. Um, tournament arcs are often used as a way to kind of save on the budget because you can use a lot of camera animation tricks to kind of hint at a fight happening and reuse a lot of animation and stuff. But my assumption was that the budget for wrestling is all in the ring and the promos and the introduction stuff. So you probably still spend the same amount, I'm guessing. That depends like on the match. Uh, But there's like normal, like they do tournaments too, like King of the Ring where it's like normal just fighting and they can Mm -hmm. also... Like, they can do what's called a dusty finish, which is where uh, there isn't a clear winner or both people get disqualified, where they can just, like, not do the match and possibly pay the people less. Um, 
So it's a way to actually say there's ways to save money in that similar <laughs> way too. Okay. Um, but yeah, like there's other more expensive matches. Uh, we'll do a whole episode about the bad matches that are like, why would you do this? Uh, you may <laughs> have seen me and some people in the Discord talking about um, the exploding barbed wire death match that happened a while ago. <laughs> I, I I vaguely remember that, and aside from that being my new favorite sentence, it just sounded like a really intriguing concept. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a lot with wrestling. <laughs> I've uh one of the one of the brief times that I kind of get a glimpse of what's happened in wrestling in the past is um I wanna say he changed his name. There was a pop culture website that used to be called X Entertainment, and he changed it because it sounded like an adult website. Um, and he changed it to uh, Dinosaur Dracula, which is much better. Um, and more than once, he's done countdowns of weird things in wrestling, like the time someone fought a mummy, or the time someone fought a giant turkey, or a leprechaun. So, like, I'm, I have a surface-level awareness of, oh, this thing happened that one time, but I don't have context for necessarily how notable that is um as opposed to like the status quo of wrestling and stuff i i assume that's weird and i assume it doesn't happen that often but it sounds like a lot of crazy stuff happens all of the time forever pretty much uh the okay. leprechaun was a character for like five years and he oh, was a okay. major character <laughs> <laughs> of course he was god um because there are three things Vince McMahon finds extremely funny. Uh, first two are uh, are fine in that it's someone getting pushed into the pool, a pool with their clothes on, and the second <laughs> is poop. Uh, regretfully, the third one is people who uh, have dwarfism, and he does shit with that constantly. Uh, he was almost three for three, and then he <laughs> fucked it up. Oh, are we are we cussing on this podcast? I'm so sorry. That's fine. We can cuss. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I should have asked we, you first. Yeah, there's a wrestler named Stone Cold who all he does is give the finger. That's his oh. whole thing. Gimmick. Is that hold up? Is that is that Stone Cold Steve Austin? Or is it a different Stone Cold? It's same one. Okay. I was like, is there another one? I because I genuinely do not know. So, <laughs> I took a lot of notes about um, things that. I think like get laid out by wrestling fans like like as like these are the mechanics of how wrestling storytelling works and I okay. think it's undervalued in that how much it like exists in other media and also just the way that like the wrestling fans lay it out I think wrestling could be like a really good like storytelling tool like mm -hmm. um I was listening to another podcast because there's no shortage of wrestling podcasts and they had Freddie Prince Jr on who you know, played Fred in the Scooby-Doo movie as married to Sarah Michelle Gellar, and he wrote for WWE for an extended period at one point. Huh. Um, and he was talking about, like, all the stuff in common and that, like, he's like, as an actor, he's like, oh, we call it monologuing, but they call it a promo. Like, it's just the terms are different in how mm -hmm. it works. Um, the biggest thing in wrestling that I'm probably going to just say off the cuff a lot is the concept of getting someone over, which is to basically legitimize them to an audience whether as a hero or a villain just getting them like the audience likes them and i don't think a lot of writers especially for like big franchises 
understand that and they just think <laughs> they can introduce a character and like oh they'll be liked the only time i i can think of like a writer doing that recently um was in infinity war and mm-hmm. i i have problems with that movie but oh big th- same this is something they do well because up until that point we only saw thanos sit in a chair um <laughs> So to get him over, they have him beat the Hulk in like one minute. So, which yeah. is also, yeah, which is something also mm-hmm. in wrestling called a squash match. That's the oh. same concept. <laughs> That's, um, I, I've seen this referred to as the Worf effect of Worf from Star Trek, where a really competent character is taken out. No, I'm thinking of something else. I'm, I'm getting it mixed up with just, because my thing is I... I don't think that the Hulk should have lost that fight, quite frankly. And I, it always makes me think of the trope of like the super competent character that is always shown losing to establish that whoever just beat them up is a much bigger threat. And so that's what I thought of with Thanos. Yeah, that's actually a thing in um in wrestling too. That's that also, role I is, knew it. That role is called a jobber, as in oh. doing the job. God, God, that I knew there was a word for that. Thank you. Oh, I, I accidentally tied it back in, even though I totally got us off track. That was <laughs> No, I mean, that works. Um, <laughs> and also, um, a big thing in writing is, like, show, don't tell. And mm-hmm. wrestlers have invented a whole terminology based off of that. Because, like, you know, in a show, it's, like, anywhere from, like, it can be an hour to two hours. But then there's, like, ten matches you have to do. And so mm-hmm. you can't do, like, the full monologue for everybody. So they have this term called in-ring psychology which is being able to depict how your character is feeling through your actions (laughs) because everything is told exclusively through that so like for instance like oh some the matches like whoever wins gets a title match and one person is really desperate they're going to be trying to go for a pin or just any way to win as quickly as possible um and I think, like, you could tie that back into, like, fight choreography and movies and how sometimes it's really good. Like, I have opinions on Star Wars. Like, I, I think uh-huh. it's a good series. Uh, I don't like it that much. I know it's very good. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, so Phantom Menace, the fight scene is very cool with Darth Maul, but you can't, uh-huh. like, feel what the characters are feeling versus, like return of the jedi where there's no fight choreography and luke Mm -hmm. is just wailing on vader with the lightsaber and it's more emotionally effective Mm -hmm. you uh, they don't showcase it as much as i would like in um uh the force awakens but i think there's a good one there as well um because you see you know a character who's literally never touched a lightsaber trying to defend himself against someone who you know has years of experience with that and so there's a lot of really frantic movements and a lot of backstepping and a lot of trying to avoid and uh, really slow reaction times and stuff, which I think does a good job to telegraph like the huge difference in skill that these two characters have. And then, you know, a third character joins a fight and also uses a lightsaber and is much the same where she's just trying to end the fight as quickly as possible to get away from the antagonist. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I um a good fight scene in a film or in a story, they do really try to showcase that. I think some of them are better at it than others, but it, it's really important for you can't unless you're an anime, you can't monologue as you're fighting usually. So you you have to kind of show that off with the the physical movements and the body language and stuff. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And also just because I do really love that fight scene in Force Awakens also. Um, oh my God, my yes. favorite thing that I like noticed was that Finn was holding the lightsaber like a baseball bat. Yes. That's like my favorite <laughs> thing about it. It is wonderful. It's such a good touch. So we did just talk about like things that are in common. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to talk about one thing that's really unique to wrestling. Okay. In- because, like, meta storytelling is in everything, but wrestling has a very unique way of going about it. Um, so, what they call canon in wrestling communities is referred to as kayfabe. Um, it just basically describes the thing that we do when we watch any uh, media where we know it's fake, but we act like it's real, the performers act like it's real, and that's how we engage with it. That's um, what that means. Okay. And then the opposite end of the spectrum is called a shoot, which is when the wrestlers decide, no, I don't care anymore. And they start (laughs) fighting for real, which sounds fun to watch. It's not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it'd be a little scary for the other person. Yeah. Usually one person decides before (laughs) the other one. God. Um, So, but then there's this half step between it called a worked shoot where you kind of blur the line to to like what's real and what's part of the story in this case mm-hmm. um so the only thing i could think of it's like if you were reading a book and it's like this narrative and then halfway through the book the writer speaks to you directly and is like i'm trapped somewhere <laughs> huh i'm i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think of i i i off the top of my head, nothing comparable to that in fiction is coming to mind. Yeah, like it's, that's what I like that's like so unique about this. And that's really why I wanted to use this to mm-hmm. kind of introduce the idea of it. Yeah. So first I'm going to talk about uh, just a work shoot promo that like is like one of the most famous ones. And then I'm going to talk about the best example of a storyline. Um, okay. So... The promo that I'm thinking of is referred to as the pipe bomb promo. And I'm going to send you a picture. I'll probably throw it up on a, the screen when on the YouTube upload of this. Um, so the wrestler CM Punk um, had been with res- WWE for like a while. Um, but he was getting very fed up with the way he was being like treated in the okay. company. Um, but like they knew they... He, he was popular and they wanted to keep him around so what they told him was um that he got to do a promo where they didn't write it for him they were just like you're gonna go out knock john cena down and then you can just go off about the company <laughs> so the whole thing is addressed to john cena and the fans the whole time and i'm just i picked a few choice quotes from it that really like show just like how much people were like 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 is this how much of this is real mm-hmm. um so he opens the promo basically by saying this sentence uh i hate this idea that you're the best because you're not i'm the best i'm the best in the world there's only one thing you're better than i am at and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good at kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. 
Dwayne referring to the rock. To the rock, yeah, okay. Jeez. <laughs> and I that was mainly spurred because one of the reasons he was upset about that is that he knew he was gonna be going into WrestleMania as like the champion, but he wasn't going to like main event it. They were doing John Cena versus The Rock in the main event. Okay. Uh, so and then he goes on to say that no matter how many times he proves the best, he says, quote, I'm not on your lovely little collector's cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster of WrestleMania. I'm not on the signature that's produced at the start of the show. I'm not on Conan O'Brien. I'm not on Jimmy Fallon. But but the fact of the matter is I should be. And trust me, this isn't sour grapes. But the fact that Dwayne is in the main event of WrestleMania next year and I'm not makes me sick. Jeez. So we're getting, like, we're closing in through, like, and he even directly insults the fans at mm-hmm. one point. Because he's like, he's like, this is your fault, too, because you buy it. Oh, God. Um, like, so this, and, is, this is already in, like, is this real or is this part of the bit territory for me? Like, yeah. two sentences in. And this next part is a part that, like, I bring up a lot because it's very accurate <laughs> in, like, how I view, like, the people in charge at WWE. He goes on to rant about, like, Vince McMahon. He goes, Vince McMahon's gonna make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? Because he surrounds himself with glad-handed, nonsensical, douchebag fucking yes-men, like John Laurinaitis, who's going to tell him everything he wants to hear, and I like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon is dead. But the fact is, it's going to be taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. Jeez. <laughs> to, to put in who he called idiotic, I'm going to show you a picture of what his son-in-law looks like. Oh no. Because it's like, hmm, probably wouldn't say anything about him unless I was very frustrated. From those wrestling games, you might remember him oh. as Triple H. Wait, his son is Triple H? His son-in-law is Triple H, yeah. Holy crap. Okay, yeah, no, that's not someone that I would talk a lot of shit about unless I, I guess I was really mad. That's like, jeez. <laughs> well, today I learned that. Jeez Louise. <laughs> and then they cut off his microphone when he starts to say this. Let me tell you a personal story about Vince McMahon, all right? We do this whole anti-bullying campaign, but... And then they cut off his microphone. (laughs) Wow. Okay, yeah. So Punk only stayed with the company three more years after that and left. He said Vince was like on the verge of tears when he left. And people still chant his name at shows when they don't like what they're seeing. Holy shit. How did he last three more years? How did he get away with that? I don't know. But like, it was probably their most profitable thing because everyone was like, is he really going to (laughs) quit? Like, (laughs) after he wins. (laughs) That makes sense. So, the next one is a storyline that when I watched it, it really was like the how much of this is real question. Okay. So I'm going to send you a picture of the three people involved in this storyline, and then I'll, I'm going to explain each of them. Um, 
So on the right of that image is Matt Hardy. He's one of the two Hardy boys. Yeah, that's their real name, but of course they just share it with the with the mm-hmm. book. That's their okay. real name. <laughs> okay. Um, he's gonna be come up on this a lot. Uh, this podcast in general, just because of like character, because he tries everything. Um, my favorite recent thing he did is when he fought a kangaroo, um, who he kept calling Joe Frazier, uh, with what? his brother. <laughs> Jeez. Um. In the center, that's Edge, um, and he's still around. Um, lots of people like him. He's very talented. Uh, mm-hmm. Back in the day, he used to fight with the Hardy Boys a lot. And then on the left is Lita, and it's kind of centered around her, this story. So Lita was Matt's girlfriend in real life. Um, they did a storyline that it's going to be talked about more later, because I need to package it with four other storylines, because it's... <laughs> It's just a common theme that I don't like that WWE did. Um, But basically, um, it was between Matt and this other guy who's was like nine feet tall. (laughs) Um, That's me being hyperbolic. He's really like over like 6'11 or something. Okay. Um, So they use him to write Matt off TV because Matt had an actual knee injury. So they had Matt get choke slammed off the stage. Um, so Matt sat at home for the next couple months. Um, but what happened while he was sitting home, and this is like legit, um, this isn't like part of the story yet. This is just the background. Um, Lita started having an affair with Edge, uh, who was, Matt considered him one of his closest friends. Mm -hmm. Um, Matt found out about this, uh, and got upset. And apparently threw like, uh, like a big f- like tantrum or whatever. I don't know if I call it a tantrum. I would be upset too uh, mm-hmm. at the WWE offices, and that got him fired. <laughs> okay. So Matt, <laughs> Matt, like Matt didn't didn't shut up about it. Like so, everyone knew. Like. And, like, over, like, the next, like, couple years, like, couple months, he came back, like, the same year, um, people would chant, like, you screwed Matt and we want Matt at Edge and Lita whenever they'd come out. So that's just, like, the background. Like, there was a petition that apparently was started that says, uh, I had, like, I think over 10,000 signatures to have them sign him back. Oh, God. Um... So anyway, there's this, the storyline with the seven foot tall guy is still going. I'm not saying his name because he has a backstory that's worthy of an episode. Okay. Um, okay. um, And Matt runs out, but without, his music doesn't play. He just shows up and starts like beating the hell out of Edge. And you can hear him calling Edge by his real name, which is Adam. Oh, geez. So... (laughs) Everyone is, like, under the assumption at this point, like, did they just, like, let him in? Because they're like, oh, it's Matt. And then he, like, actually. So, so this, was this part of the story? Or was this a real? So, I would say his frustration was probably real. But they let him back in the building. So, like, this goes on for, like, a couple weeks. Where, like, at one point... 
Matt gets handcuffed by police and even walked out. Oh, jeez. So people were like, "This is this real? <laughs> um, but anyway, they... That's just like a piece of storytelling that I don't think can be found anywhere else is that they like wrote in this real dispute that everyone knew about mm-hmm. and acted like it was real. And they like would talk about it and like, he would like come out and say everyone by their real name. He would call Lita, Amy Dumas. He would call edge Adam. And they would do like these, like, like these interviews you would see like on like, news where like two people would be arguing where it would be like web interviews where they'd be like talking and having a debate with like someone like officiated and it's like how much of this is fucking real so within the within the fiction of this storyline part one of the plot elements was this guy is so mad he's ignoring the fiction of our storyline basically okay 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 that so was the was the affair real then, or was that just made up? Or the affair was real. <laughs> ah, and they were like, "Oh, this would make for good wrestling plot." That ah, yep. <laughs> I mean, it would, and it sounds like it did. But also, geez, huh? That's <laughs> I don't know what I expected, but it super was not that. Yep. So they have like a bunch of different matches after this. One of which they drop Matt gets dropped headfirst on the turnbuckle and it like breaks his face open. Jeez. <laughs> and they had to like stop the match. Like it seems like that was like written in the storyline, but the way it just kind of like stopped mm-hmm. after that, it's like this isn't like storytelling and like how it should be told. It's like no, this is just whoopsie. <laughs> Oh. oh my god. Huh. <laughs> so. So the other parts of that story where it's like the resolution is like they have a cage match, which is the only ways to win is to escape the cage or mm-hmm. in some cases oh, yeah. pin okay. the person. Um, where uh, Matt climbed the top of the cage and jumped off of it onto Edge. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how that match ended. Um, Edge technically won this feud like everyone's like Hardy says that oh the steel cage match was supposed to be an end but they were like they were like we can't keep these two on the same show because they had a thing called the brand separation where because you could just it, when everyone was on like the same shows you could like skip the second show of the week um, so the way they got people to watch the other one is that they would be like well different people are on this one oh, so okay. They were like, we can't keep Edge and Matt on the same show because it's gonna. It will only make sense if it's on site on at every moment. So, so they had Matt lose the match that was a loser leaves Raw, which is the name of the the show uh, they were on match. So they had him lose it. So technically, he lost <laughs> the feud. Jeez, wow, that sucks for him. So um, when. Just, just make sure I'm, I'm tracking this correctly. Um, when you, when you're talking about there being like two different shows, is that like a different episode, like two different episodes airing a week or were recorded in a week or? Yeah. So right now, WWE does three shows, um, Raw, SmackDown, which are their two normal shows, and then NXT, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be their like their developmental group. Um, Okay. 
Raw and SmackDown right now, uh, in at the, when the storyline was being done, were the only two. Mm-hmm. Um, unless ECW came back around this time. I'll talk about that another time. Okay. All right. So this was two... Technically, they were part of the same franchise, but they were like two separate storylines, different casts. Okay. Yes. Okay, okay cool. All right. Um, uh, that's what I thought. I just wasn't 100%. So there is one more... <laughs> storyline i do want to talk about that fits this kind of like thing of like how much of this is real um so because you played the games you might know that the most enduring wrestling character of the past maybe 30 years has been an undead wizard oh undertaker (laughs) yes yes wait he's a he's a wizard he does magic oh (laughs) I didn't know he did magic. I thought he just pretended he was dead. No, he'll like throw his hands up and lightning will strike the ring or what? like he'll he'll make people hallucinate. He'll they'll see bloody versions of themselves in the mirror. They'll open what? a coffin and they'll see themselves in the coffin. How is this not made it in any of the video games? In some of the stories he has and he oh also can teleport. God. Um yeah. that's Huh. Uh, and they achieve the teleportation by having uh, the lights go down. You hear like a funeral gong and he then appears in the ring. Uh, people have noticed how they do it. And I feel bad for Mark Calloway, who's the person who portrays Undertaker, because he has to sit under the ring oh God. the whole show until it's time. Oh God, that sucks. I mean, so I any- guess... For his craft, but like, geez. Sorry, go on. Yeah, so there's the storyline that I'm thinking that they did with him where it was like, how much of this is real is that one day Vince came out to the ring and said, Undertaker, or he says Mark, he says Mark Calloway, who you know as Undertaker, has like lost himself in his character and now genuinely believes he's the Undertaker. What? This was the storyline for like half a year. You, you can't you can't do that though. Like the the levels of like meta that, that that invokes of like we've all been pretending this is real and as you know it's not, but this guy pretended too hard and now he thinks the thing that we treat as real even though it's fake is actually a real non-fake thing. Like the, you can't that <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't think of any medium where you can tell that story on, I, I guess, fiction where the characters are, know they're fictional characters. And I don't even, I I guess a fictional actor who gets stuck in his fictional in-universe role and we know that he's actually a different, fi- I, even then, that, <laughs> what? So... Undertaker starts recruiting a cult. <laughs> of course, yeah. Thank you, do. Thank you for this extremely normal sentence. Uh, where he he basically recruits people into it by either A, like, beating them into it, or B, uh-huh. they were already kind of like a supernatural character and they just got added into his cult. They called it the Ministry. Oh, God, um, okay. So, like, every wrestler is trying to stop the Ministry, but it's just not working out. Um... <laughs> At one point, uh, Vince's daughter gets kidnapped, <laughs> and and he's like, 
and he's like, I'm going to sacrifice Stephanie McMahon to the higher power. Oh, God. That I serve. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so Vince gets Stone Cold to fight, uh, and Stone Cold gets crucified. Um, <laughs> let me get the picture of this. Oh, dear God. Okay. I think I, I do need to see the picture of this, actually. They, they raise him into the air. And he's cursing the whole time. <laughs> they, yeah, no, they just, they just full on. Oh, they, how? <laughs> they crucified him. <laughs> I don't. Okay. All right. Sure. Um. So I also just want to bring up that, like the. The list of the people in the Undertaker's team, the Ministry, oh, absolutely. Uh, we'll do a full like episode on uh, vampires <laughs> in <laughs> WWE. Okay, but, but there were was a team of vampires called the Brood, oh. um, where like he's the main guy was named Gangrel. He sipped blood from a chalice. <laughs> okay. Um, this is not the first vampire WWE did either. Oh my but god. The most interesting part of Gangrel being in this group is that he was not one of the original members. He joined later. He was oh. existing independently as a vampire. And he just okay okay. Oh <laughs> what <laughs> I I, I, I mean, the, the entire point of this podcast is that I have so many questions, but, like, still, I have so many questions. I feel free. I'd be happy to answer that. <laughs> I feel like I just want to start with why italicized, but, like, that's not specific enough. Um, wh- how, how many people were in the brood before Gangrel joined it? So... There were three in okay. the in the brood. Uh, right. One of them is Edge. <laughs> Edge wait, is a vampire wait, first. wait! Did he get turned into a vampire before or after the thing with Matt? So he started his career as not being a vampire. Okay, he briefly became a vampire. Okay, and then he and the other member of the brood, Christian. Became unvampired. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I noticed that you said that you made it clear he was temporarily a vampire. I. So, this was like Jubilee from X Men, where you just had to be a vampire for a while and then you move on with your life. Just a little bit. Just a I, little bit of vampire. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> you know, I, I think that single. The. The one thing about the brood and about Undertaker, I really think it illustrates your point of uh, wrestling having a lot in common with specific types of anime storytelling, because this is how I feel when my girlfriend tries to explain One Piece to me, is I'm just like, okay, sure, all of these things are happening, these are all these characters, I, I guess this might as well be how the world works, sure. It's, it was, it's such a ridiculous storyline, especially because it concluded in not a good way. Oh God, (laughs) how do you, how do you not stick this landing? So, 
because this whole time Undertaker is saying like, oh, I serve a higher power. Everyone's wondering like how who the higher power is. People are like, is it a wrestler from another company? Is mm-hmm. it an older wrestler? Mm-hmm. Um, who's coming back? Um, so they at one day he's gonna be like, I'm, the higher power is gonna be revealed. There's like this robed guy in the ring. <laughs> oh no! And like at this point, most of the McMahon family has also joined the cult. God. They've been put into. They've been brainwashed into the cult as well. Um, Vince is still, like, on Austin's side fighting against it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they pull down the hood of the cult, and it's Vince. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. So was was he a double agent? Is that what that is? This whole thing was to fuck with Stone Cold. This whole thing was just a... That is insanity. And he's and he when they pull back the hood he goes it's me Austin. That's where that clip comes from. <laughs> yeah. That's what that <laughs> Oh my god, that's so much better with context. And Jim Ross's reaction, ah <laughs> oh, son of a bitch, <laughs> is everyone's reaction <laughs> to that reveal cuz it made no fucking sense. That that is incredible. It goes on beyond it where he's like, you all bought it. Austin <laughs> bought it. Even my immediate family bought it. <laughs> you can't. That can't. You can't do that. That can't be. You can't. You can't make fun of your audience for falling for the thing you told them was true. <laughs> you can't, that's not how that works. It's like it's like when um oh god I can't think of a good example. It's like when a writer claims that there's a plot twist in the story, but they just lied to you, and then it turns out they lied to you later in order to make the plot thing happen. <laughs> it's very funny to me. That is wonderful. And at that point, Undertaker's cult didn't dissolve. It just oh. became. It changed from being the Ministry of Darkness to the corporate ministry. Are you kidding me? Where it was just like, yeah, we're big business, but, you know. Also, <laughs> we're, we're, we're vampires. Also yeah. Yes. <laughs> Are they still, is that still, did I, surely by now that's not a thing, right? Like, are they still, is that still they, a conceit of? They did stop <laughs> that storyline uh, when I, Undertaker decided to start being a biker. Oh, Okay. I mean, Where? Wiz- wizard to biker feels like a lateral move to me, so that makes sense. <laughs> he would like ride his motorcycle down to the ring <laughs> and chase people around with it. God. Um. Since we have two minutes left, there's another important piece of this storyline that I've oh, been neglecting by all means. because because he kept coming up in it. He's not like a main character in it, um, but because. We're already on the subject of the Undertaker being a wizard, and it's mm-hmm. probably best for us to talk about the other member of his family that's in WWE, Kane, um, who is his burn victim brother. Oh, they are brothers. Okay, I actually knew that. I don't know how I knew that, but I did. Okay. Who? So the storyline of how he got burned <laughs> changes very frequently. Okay. So they introduced him with, um, Undertaker had a manager whose name was Paul Bearer. 
he. <laughs> I hate, I hate that his name is just a pun. No, it's perfect. I hate it so much. I want to show you what he looks like. Oh, thank you so much. The the pictures uh, are really making this for me. Thank you. When he's not in WWE, since WWE owns the name Paul Bearer somehow, his name is Percy Pringle. Are you kidding? That's who that is? <laughs> yep. What? <laughs> okay. So... Undertaker left him behind at some point. He like started his career with Undertaker and the mm-hmm. whole thing is like there was a thing with like an urn. It's confusing. That will be an episode. <laughs> okay. Um but he was like in the lead up to this fu- the, the fucking corporate ministry and all that. <laughs> they introduced Kane, which was his, his brother and like Undertaker said like in the ring like you know I had a brother but he like died in the fire with the rest mm-hmm. of my family oh, which God. is a thing that was uttered in TV oh, with God. no emotional depth of course um, <laughs> but then Paul Bear is like no he's alive and he's mad at you Undertaker what <laughs> why is he mad at Undertaker <laughs> so they flipped back and forth on who started the fire a lot oh okay <laughs> sometimes okay. it was Kane that started the fire. Sometimes it was <laughs> it was Undertaker who started the fire. Uh-huh. Kane is also a little bit of a wizard himself. Oh, okay. Just like on but the only, side. But only sometimes. <laughs> because he can summon fire, but only sometimes. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> so he was a piece of the story. This is how they made him a good guy temporarily. <laughs> uh, Kane or Undertaker? Kane. Okay, okay, okay. Because Undertaker was like, everyone likes the Undertaker, even though he's a corpse. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they were like, this is how we're going to make Kane a good guy for a little bit. Because <laughs> then he's trying to stop his cult leader brother. <laughs> I I mean, yeah, that checks out, I guess. I... <laughs> one, uh, there's one other member of the ministry. I want to let you know oh, good. how okay. his career progressed okay so this man's name is viscera oh uh, he is gigantic he was like 400 pounds he's like like more than six feet tall mm-hmm. and he was always acted as like a like kind of like the security for any group he was in uh, i want you to guess how his career advanced what gimmick he did next um Hmm. Well, I assuming that he became part of the uh the corporate ministry at some point. Um, I'm gonna guess he just went legit and started working a desk job. He just came to work in a suit one day and no one questioned it. No, he um after he left the corporate ministry where he maintained the same gimmick, he became the world's largest love machine. <laughs> Where he would come out in, like, lounge suits to, like, the ring. And he... Was was that his gimmick before, too? It was... He just randomly became this afterwards. That's just what he... That's... Yeah, that's a career pivot. That's what you do. (laughs) I... (laughs) Okay. I mean, you know, good for him. That's a lot of confidence to have in yourself. And then after that, he randomly became evil again. (laughs) Okay, yeah, like you do. And he, he was changed his name to Big Daddy V, whose entire character is that he was big. This is 
so this man is literally that Tumblr post that reads, I'm no longer evil, I want to be loved, and then evil again. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm catching on, at least a little. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> Wrestling is a trip, and I think we're nearing the end of the podcast. Join us next time when I talk about a si- when a 600-pound former sumo wrestler hatched from an egg and a woman gave birth to a human hand. That sounds like a pretty normal, pretty normal day wrestling to me. <laughs> well, thank-, thank you for inflicting this knowledge on my brain. I don't think it's ever going to escape. <laughs> You're stuck here with me now. <laughs> how? Yeah, this, this ring has no doors. I can't get out. That's how that works. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the emotional cage match that is this podcast. <laughs> oh, by the way, just to inflict it on you one further, here is oh. when Viscera was the world's largest love machine. Thank you. I don't think this would have been complete. If I didn't get to see this, I, huh, you know, I was expecting like red, I was expecting like a red, like red velvet robe, like kind of the classic, like really cliche look. This is good though. This is nice. (laughs) It's much more tasteful than I was expecting it to be. I'll say. His submission move was dry humping his opponent. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Ah, he had me and then he lost me. (laughs) Oh god. He is he's just someone who's stuck in my head uh mostly because in one of the wrestling video games, I believe SmackDown vs. Raw 2007, uh there is there's a storyline with uh someone has a magic wand. Oh no. You know. Okay. Yeah, like you um, do. And at some point she ch- she gets upset that your character refers to her as a witch and says that she wants to have a match with you tonight. And then whoever you're playing as, I was playing as John Cena Mm -hmm. says, says the words, I don't do any bikini contests. And then she (laughs) waves her wand and turns your player into a girl. Huh? Uh, And, and Viscera frequently flirts. (laughs) With the girl version of your character. Huh. I mean, that actually is the most anime thing you've (laughs) brought up so far. Oh, well, I learned too much, I would say, today. Psychic damage has been done. (laughs) It it sure has. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're stuck here. (sighs) Well, in that case, I guess I will see you next time.